This is tape number six of the series, The Destination of Faith, Heaven by Dr. Joel Hunter. The subject of this message is, What Heaven Is, Place and Kingdom. Dr. Hunter's scripture text is 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 13. And from the New International Version, it reads as follows. But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth, in which righteousness dwells. And now, let's join in for praise and worship followed by message number six, What Heaven Is, Place and Kingdom, in this series, The Destination of Faith, Heaven. And so even knowing that, that there is power in the blood of Jesus, even knowing that only His blood can redeem us, can save us, we still fall victim to this very subtle work of the enemy who comes along and tries to convince us that there are other ways, maybe even better ways, to get to God, to get to heaven. When we know that the only accurate view of our lives of heaven is a God-centered view that comes from Scripture alone. We see in 2 Peter 1.20, that know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, to deviate from the truth for the sake of some prospect of hope on our own can never be wise, however slight the deviation might be. The problem with us is we still struggle with our flesh and we have difficulty keeping the focus off ourselves and on God. When we know, as Paul said in Romans 12:3, through the grace given to me, I say to every man among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think. It is in our self-centeredness that we take the focus off God. And Jesus has told us that we can't love God and anything else, not even ourselves. That's why, that's why we don't love Our hearts are far away That's why, that's why We don't love God We're so consumed with self We can't love anybody else Mask the nakedness of our mortality, cloaked in this poison pride, the illusion of control. We need the gift of grace more than the air we breathe. But as it draws us near 
it repels our stubborn soul That's why, that's why we don't love God Oh yes, our lips feign praise But our hearts are far away That's why, that's why we don't love God I don't want my prayers to be Some meaningless litany Why are we so afraid Guarded and counterfeit Is it because we know all the shadows we conceal And we are so alone Wolves in the winter snow Never imagining That this mercy could be real That's why, that's why We don't love God Although our lips feign praise, still our hearts are far away. That's why, that's why we don't love God. When we're consumed with self, we can't love anybody else. your scriptures with you, if you would turn to 2 Peter chapter 3, I'm going to take off from one verse this morning. I don't usually do this, but um, this morning I'm going to. While you're turning there, I think I have an apology to make. I'm not sure. Uh, I, I know I offended some of you last week, and I will continue to do so on a regular basis. 
However, I, I, I need to really check out my spirit in these things. I did not, some of, I only got one letter this week, but it was, you know, I really thought I was really coming down on Betty Jean Eady really hard last week. I, even though I said at the beginning this was not about her, and I said at the end of that illustration it was not about her, it's about us. Um, I, I just want to make sure that you know um, that when I kid about stuff, and I will do this on a regular basis because it's my form, humor is my form of corrective love. You come to our house and you will hear most family conflict happening and most family correction happening in humor. You come here. You're a pastor here. You're an elder here. Uh, you, you're on the worship committee here. Man, there is nobody in that room that is safe. We are merciless uh, in kidding one another and, and thereby correcting. So, but it's, but it, it's because we love each other. It's because we know each other that well and, and, and we've got that relationship. Now, maybe it's not the same for somebody that I don't know, uh, but I want you to know that, that um, um, it's, it's, I will continue, and, and this is just something you've got to figure out whether you can stand or not stand. I will continue to kid and laugh about stupid ideas because it's, they're stupid. And, and, and they're dangerous. You know, stupid ideas are dangerous. But it doesn't, you know, it's not, it's not um, um, inconsequential that the only times God is recorded as laughing in the Old Testament. You can check it out. Psalm 2, Psalm 37, Psalm 59. God's laughing in a scornful way. at stupid ideas, you know. So it's not ungodly. It's a form of love. It's a form of correction. And I certainly didn't mean anything against Betty Jean Eady. I think she's probably very sincere and a very wonderful person. But stupid ideas. And we all have them, you know. You're welcome to come up and blast me. I mean, kid with me. Get to know me well enough and, you know, call me names, you know. And, and if there's correction in there, I'll, uh, I'll take it. Take it well. Okay, here we go. This is Second uh, Peter chapter 3, verse 13. But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Now, let me ask you a question about that verse. When you read that verse, what's your first reaction? Looking for new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Is your first reaction that he's talking about something in another time, in another place, or that he's talking about something now and here? Well, the biblical understanding is that the answer is both. However, most people think of a new heaven and a new earth in times strictly of the future. And what I want to talk about today for a very limited time, in a very practical way, is recognizing the establishment of the kingdom of God in this time, in this place. When Jesus came and talked about the kingdom of God, you can read this in the Gospel of Mark, for example. His first words recorded in the Gospel of Mark were these. Repent and believe the Gospel, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And he meant right here, right now. Now, that same Jesus, at the end of what is recorded in Mark, Mark chapter 14, when he does the communion service, the original one, he says, I will not drink of this with you again until I drink it new in the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of heaven. 
And in that sense, he's, he's talking about something in the future. Now again, let me ask you this. Do you believe that heaven is something that only happens in the future? Do you have to wait on heaven? Because if you do, you have not heard the full gospel. Heaven is something that you can experience right here, right now. We have been building for four weeks to say, heaven is the presence of God. Heaven is defined not in improved circumstances, not in improved um, um, performance, not in improved status. Heaven is nearness in the experience of the presence of God. And so therefore, you don't have to wait. And God would not have you wait. There is a not yet aspect of heaven, but there's also a now aspect of heaven. That's what I want to talk about today. First of all, let's talk about space. Let's talk about this this God of the universe. Is God God over all? Yes. But you know what? Sometimes we, in our own mind, leave him there. You can can discover your own reasons for leaving him up there. I, I have a few theories of my own. It's much more comfortable for him to be up there than down here. But I would say that the Bible talks about a geographical God. A God that is within boundaries for the sake of his people. A God that not didn't stay in heaven, but came down and visited the earth and then remained on earth within geographical boundaries. Is all creation gods, of course. Psalm 24 says, The earth is the Lord and the Lord's in the fullness thereof. Of course it is. But the Bible also has words that are geographical in nature. Words like uh, higher and lower. Words like near and far. You know, your, your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Your ways higher than our ways. But you have made us just a little lower than the angels, Psalm 8 says. James says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Two days ago, my, my devotions were in Psalm 10. Psalm 10 says, God, why do you stand so far off? And then, Psalm 11 today was, In the Lord is my refuge. You see, that's a geography. That's, that's, a, that's a nearness. And it, says, and, and, and it said, the Lord is in his temple. Now, if you read Ephesians, where is his temple? You are being built into his temple. The Lord is in His temple. His throne, verse 4 says, is in the heavens. You see that dichotomy? You see that tension? So it's also now. God has always been a God of geography. Yes, He created the universe. But you know what? He also created a garden in which He met man man and woman in that garden. He was a God of geography. He says, these are boundaries right here. I'm going to come to you inside of boundaries. And later on, when they, when they got uh, expelled, and he began to form a people for himself. Genesis chapter 12. You can read the verses yourself. He called Abraham out. He says, come on, I'm going to make of you a great nation. I want you to go out to a land which I will show you. That's geography, isn't it? It's saying there's something on earth here where I will meet you. There are boundaries in which I will meet you. And indeed... That's exactly what they did. Now here's what I also want you to see. This is not strictly about geography. Because God, watch this, meets His people. His people. And gives them the geography so that they can look for Him there. 
It doesn't matter what the geography is. As a matter of fact, if you read uh, Joshua chapter 1, verse 3, God says this. He, he, he says this to uh, Joshua. He says, Every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you. You see that? That's about people. That's about His covenant with people. That's about you. You don't have to go to a certain spot on the earth to experience God. Every place upon which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you. But yet he's still talking geography. But he's talking mostly about him at the center of this thing giving you that geography. How many of you, when you were kids, played king on the mountain? I know some of you boys did. You know, you find this old dirt hill, you know? And you see who can stay on top of that sucker. You know, throw off as many people, and 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 what we what was our nature from the very beginning? It's been our it's it's, it's the nature of brothers and sisters to fight over this. It's the nature of all sports to have these kind of cont- contests. The nature of our competition from the very earliest days is this: who is king of this place in this time? You 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 track down the the. The Super Bowl, you track down basketball, you track down rest, and, and all of them have boundaries and say, and, and all of them go for this. Who is king of this territory in this time? I want you to say, say to you, that's the same issue with the kingdom of God. Who is king of your territory in this time? And Scripture would tell us, Christ is. Scripture would say that the kingdom of God is not some sort of, of special, uh, earthly um, establishment institution. As a matter of fact, Ritterboss says this. I like what Ritterboss says. He says the kingdom is not some entity that is developing on earth, nor in the hearts of men. The kingdom of God is Christ. And when you see Christ, His activity... That's the kingdom of God. It's a personal relationship. You know, in terms, of, uh, in terms of philosophy, in terms of physics, you can put this another way. Aristotle did not believe that there was such a thing as empty space. He believed every space was a place because it was the extension of some body within that space. Therefore, it wasn't just an empty vacuum. It was an environment for something. Einstein later picked up that theory and said, gravitating matter, now listen to this, gravitating matter determines the nature of the space around it. Now I want you to take that example from physics and apply it spiritually. Whoever is king within a certain environment determines the nature of the space surrounding it. Right? Who's king of your environment? And what is the nature of the space around it? What is the nature of that place? The Bible would say that Christ is the king of the environment, but you've got to recognize that. You've got to proclaim it. You've got to understand it. You've got to look for him in that place and then that environment becomes heaven right here right now you don't have to go to a certain place on earth I mean I remember growing up in uh, 
Now, there are, there are special meeting places and there are special places where God seems nearer. I understand that. It's always been that way. You know, in the Old Testament, it was the tent of meeting, you know. Sometimes it, sometimes it came by surprise. You know, Jacob in his dream, you know, dreams that, you know, people, angels are going up and down the ladder and he wakes up and he says, surely God was in this place and I didn't know it. And he builds an altar immediately. And so there are places on earth where God seems closer. I, I understand that all of us have those. And for many of you, uh, you've gone to the Holy Land. And, and, and you know, that's where, that's where Jesus walked physically when he was on earth. And it just seemed, it seemed like God was closer there. I remember growing up in a church and one of the favorite uh, solos that people would do once a year was, I walked today where Jesus walked. I don't know if any of you remember that old song. Great old song. I, I walked today where Jesus walked and felt him close to me. I climbed the hill of Calvary. I climbed And I can remember as a boy being so inspired, you know. But then I'd walk out of church and I was in Shelby, Ohio. And quite frankly, Jesus had never been to Shelby, Ohio. Unless you're a Mormon, he hasn't been on this continent at all. You know? And so, here you go. Well, do I got to go to the Holy Land to get close to Jesus? And the answer is, No. Because we've got to discover the difference between the Holy Land and Holy Ground. The Holy Land is a special place where Jesus was physically once, but that hasn't got anything to do with Holy Ground. The Holy Ground, as it is defined in in Exodus chapter 3, verses 4 to 7, is where you encounter the living God in Christ. Where you encounter the living God. That's Holy Ground. Remember Moses Approach that burning bush. And, and God says, take off your shoes. You're standing on holy ground. Why? Because God was in that place. And Moses encountered him. Now let me tell you this. God is in that place where you see him, where you encounter him, and that's your holy ground. And God wants you to make of every place in your life holy ground. Holy ground. Start looking for him every place in your life. Now, for some of you, that's going to be a little bit uncomfortable because it's so much more relaxing to have God off somewhere and, and you kind of ring for Him like you would a butler, you know? If you get in trouble, oh, God, come down, you know? Uh, uh, if you need instruction, oh, God, I, I need to ask you something. Like the song Vernon was singing, you know? need a little help. I, I need some direction. But the lyrics say we're only lying to ourselves. What we need is resurrection. What we need is a second birth. We need something totally new where God is here. And so, the mature Christian is one who will see God in every territory in their life. In the now. And I know that gets a little uncomfortable. Some of... Were you... When you entered your dating life, were you like I was? When When I was growing up, I got interested in girls long before I got comfortable being around them. Long before. I can remember thinking, well, maybe girls aren't yuck, but, you know, I just don't want to be around any Because my mom kept saying to me very practical stuff like, don't do about six things that you do that are totally gross when you're around girls. And, and I didn't know why not. I'd been hanging around the neighborhood guys all the time and, and so I just got, had to be real careful not to do gross things, you know, normally. And, uh, and so 
as I, as I got a little bit more interested, I was, I was willing to do without some of those things. But lived in fear that I would do them by accident. And so, so at first, at first I, I felt much more comfortable just writing notes, you know. Hello, like your smile. Hunter, you know. Uh, and, and then as you, as you kind of got a relationship, um, you, you call them up, see. Boy, I remember calling, first time I called, I wrote stuff down. A list of stuff. I did. So you so we wouldn't have that awful pause, you know? You know, I wrote it down, yes. Well, tell me about yourself. You know. And then the pause is hers, you know. Sweating like a pig, boy, just it was awful. But then, you know, and and, and, and then you you get you date. And that's when you really gotta be careful. But meantime, the real life that you have goes on in between those times. I mean, those times are what you look forward to, and, and they're real sweet times, but your real life, you know, the sports and, and, and your buddies and, and TV and eating anything you want any way you want. You know, the real life goes on in between those times. And that's the way most of our, most of our lives are right now. We live most of our lives in between our times with God. In between our times. We want Him for those special times. They're sweet times. But that's why we picture heaven way off somewhere so that we can relax and not do gross things. Or I mean, go ahead and do gross things in between those times. Because we don't want to do them in front of God. But you know what? There comes a time in your maturity when you want to do the same thing with God that you did with your spouse. You want to be close enough with them that you are literally willing to rebuild your life around that person. In physics terms, they become... Now listen to you. Listen to this. Valentine's Day is just right around the corner. If you want to put... If you want to go to Eckert and write your own card, you can write this on the card if you're a physics geek. You are the gravitating matter that determines the nature of my space. Go ahead. It's a freebie. Go ahead. You are the gravitating matter that determines the nature of my space. And then brace yourself for all the smooches you'll get from that, boy. That'll come right through for you. Listen. Some of us have come to the place where we don't want to wait. We want God right to be at the center of everything and be that, that gravitating matter that that determines the nature of all of our lives. We want to rebuild our lives around God. And you know what the first step to that is? Very practical. Very practical. You look at every area of your life, every arena of your life, and you begin to look for God. Because He's right there. You know, that one of the neatest verses in all the Bible is, for, is, is, is what Paul wrote, um, what Paul did in Acts chapter 17 talking to a very religious people who had no idea who God was. And he, and, he, and he says, listen to this about what he writes about God. Verses 26 and 27. He made from one every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation. See, God is a geographical God. Put every place exa- everybody exactly where they needed to be. And that's true for you. He's determined your times and He's determined your boundaries. And that goes emotionally as well as geographically. 
He's determined your times and He's determined your boundaries. Why? Look at this. That they should seek God if perhaps they might grope for Him and find Him though He is not far from each one of us. God is in your place right now. Look for Him. Say, God, lift the veil. Look for Him. You know, Charismatics do some crazy stuff, but one of them isn't not looking at a piece of geography and saying, God, this is yours. This is your, I recognize this is yours. That's something all of us should be able to do. You don't have to march around seven times till you cast something out. You just look at that place. How many of you have gone through your house, room by room, and said, God, this is yours? How many of you have done that with your car? How many have done that with your boundaries at work? Say, God, this is yours. This is where you live. This is your geography. This is where you will meet me. And this is where I'll meet you. How many of you have done that with your relationships? Say, God, this is yours. Lift the veil from my eyes so that I can see you in this place. You know, that's what a miracle is. A miracle is just simply pulling back the veil so you can see the activity of God in a very plain fashion. Well, you know what? Miracles aren't just for then. Miracles are for now. Pull back the veil, God, so I can see you here and now. That will give me the understanding that heaven is right here, right now. Pray with me. God, help us not to mistake the fact that just because your nature is spirit and truth, that you are not here in a physical environment, in our physical world. Help us to look for you in geographical terms. Help us to proclaim you at the center of our worlds, at the center of the, the land on which we walk, the cars in which we ride. Help us to look for you there. Meet us there, please, so that we can understand your nearness. Father, Jesus said his last words to us, I am with you always. If he's here, and we know he is, help us see him. We pray in his name. Amen. Recognize with the best.
these eyes Show me heaven isn't only in the sky A full day ahead And little ones to put to bed Heaven seems so far away I walk it alone Longing for my home Show me the place Show me your face Lift the veil from these eyes Show me heaven in my days In ways that I can recognize Lift the veil from these eyes Show me heaven isn't only in the skies I've waited so long to see you face to face Stand in your presence night and day Take all my fear, take me from here Show me your heaven in this place this week. This is a song that she just composed after hearing about this message. The lyrics are a challenge to us all. And the challenge is this. To look in every place, every circumstance of your life for Jesus Christ. He is there. And the prayer is this. Christ, show me you. Show me where you are so that I can proclaim you, so that I can worship you, so that I can praise you. I'd like for you to all to stand up. Prayer team, would you come on um, forward? Good, we got lots of women this time. I, I'm always griping because we don't have enough women up here, so this is great. May we go from this place knowing that God is in every particular geography of our lives and looking for Christ in those places. And in those situations, in Jesus' name, amen.